0: Your responsibility is to pour as much love and kindness and support and whatever you can offer. And, and then you have to just let go, like hold everybody with open hands and that your job is not to control the fruit, what happens, their decisions, their choices, what happens in life, right? You just do what you can with what you have and then just release.
1: Self-leadership can be lonely. It's hard to do the thing no one else wants to do, that no one else is willing to do. But you are not alone. There are others dancing through the fight and laughing as they lead. Let's find them, swap stories, and live through this together. Welcome to How I Live Through This. I'm your host, Ann Roach, and I'm really glad you're here. I am so humbled and grateful to be speaking with Teresa Goins today. Teresa is the founder and CEO of Old School Cafe, a supper club run by At Risk Youth in San Francisco, which provides training, jobs, and a second chance at life for youth coming out of incarceration and foster care. Teresa's experience working with gang affiliated youth as a juvenile correction officer impacted her life in a way that changed her forever. Their stories gave her an in-depth understanding of how many young people end up on such a destructive path and compelled her to find a solution to the hopelessness she saw in the lives of incarcerated and forgotten youth. Teresa's mission is to permanently break the cycle of incarceration by giving young people hope, economic opportunities, and training in a supportive environment where they can grow emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Welcome, Teresa. I am so, so glad you're here.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Anne. It's a, it's a privilege.
1: I asked you on uh, because your mission feels as impossible as my mission felt when I was a defense attorney and as impossible as my mission is now, uh, which is to eradicate racism. But you're doing it. You're doing this mission. And I am fascinated By your story, I I guess the first place to start would be be to give the listeners an overview of of what you're doing, but I'm I'm so eager to dive into your story. Where do you want to begin?
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Well, wherever you would like to start, but um, yeah, I mean, um, just kind of an overview of what we're doing right now. Actually, this year, we celebrate our 10-year anniversary that we've been a full jazz supper club open to the public. Now, I've been doing it, I was doing it eight years before that out of my house doing pop-ups um, in any space I could get for free. And so really 18 years, but 10 years is a full restaurant in San Francisco. So that is, you know, I believe it's such a blessing and a miracle, Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a foodie city, um, it's restaurants are hard and even having made it through COVID. So we're super grateful to be here serving our young people, um, that we're able to continue to provide economic support through jobs, but then the whole wraparound support, as they run this fully youth-run supper club.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious. Why food? Why why the supper club? How did that idea start?
0: Yeah, um, I always like to say, because I didn't know better. <laughs> <laughs> you know how sometimes uh, they'll talk about people innovate often outside of their field of experience. So mm-hmm. that was the case with me. I was a waitress at like a sort of a podunk type of, um, diner, um, in Arizona when I was 19 for four months, that was it. And so definitely not fine dining for months. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of learning. I was sort of the host, the server making the salads, cleaning up, you know, Yeah but I, it was enough to know how hard it was that I was like, oh, I don't, this is the one thing I don't ever want to do is own a restaurant. <laughs> the, the family that owned it, like, I felt like they lived there. They were like in a booth yeah. constantly. And I thought, and I'm a free spirit. I love to travel. I love to go. And I thought, oh, to like have to be in this one spot, like every day, all day. Yeah. But so interestingly enough, so fast forward, um, after, you know, I was in corrections and my heart was exposed and we can go into more of that detail, but then I'm in San Francisco and I'm trying to, I feel very passionate about finding a solution to solve this like revolving door of incarceration and youth that are stuck in this cycle and can't get out and nobody's hiring them because they have a felony and, you know, all of these pieces. And I'm in San Francisco and I'm looking around to where a lot of the jobs are and, you know probably. are in hospitality, the, the hotels, the restaurants, the, and then I started looking at, wow, how much servers were making in tips and, and that you could go in as a dishwasher. And a lot of the general managers and, um, chefs and owners had started out as a dishwasher Mm -hmm. or a host. And so wow, what I love about this is the opportunity that you don't have to come in with a degree you don't have to come in with any training and some of the best in the industry had just learned on the job and worked their way up. So it was a lot of these pieces, but I thought, oh my gosh, this, this is such a great entree way in for our youth mm. to get jobs that are transferable because every place in the world has a cafe, a restaurant, a hotel. Mm. And so I it's one of the most transferable jobs, um, that if you have the experience, you can get your foot in the door to get Work to get a job.
1: Oh, I love that. I love how, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I love how identifying that, recognizing that, allows you to think about where this could work in other yes. cities and other places for so many other people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's just really looking at you know, it's that whole problem solving, right? Like what's not working, and where's the opportunity, and how do we how do we match this together? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and really um, sustainable, thinking about how it could be sustainable. Can you, again, I'm jump, I'm so excited you're here. I'm jumping around too much. But (laughs) (laughs) can you, I'm fascinated. Tell me how, how did you become a correction officer at 19? I mean, at 22? What? what was that that story?
0: So um, it is kind of a funny story. So my degree was in psychology and um, you know, and I didn't even take any, you know, any classes in law enforcement or like nothing. It was like pure psychology. Um, My heart was to be a, a counselor, a therapist. I wanted to help um you know I, I hate people seeing seeing people emotionally suffer and be mm-hmm. in pain and so yeah that's kind of i was going to go on to become a psychologist that was my plan and but then i you know i did the i did the internships all the typical ones as a psych major would do i did um there's a boys um, mental health ward that i worked in i did suicide lines and all those things were really great experience and things that that i've used to this day but I was like, yeah, that doesn't feel like a fit. This is not something I want to do like full time. And I was just kind of interested in law enforcement. The things I were thinking, I probably just watched too many, you know, <laughs> FBI shows <laughs> growing up. Um, but because uh, I did think about being the FBI, but um, I thought maybe I would be um, like a work with the first responders. So when there is, you know, trauma, like whether it's a shooting or something in a community, that go along with the the officer type of, you know, so not quite, I didn't think I would be an officer, I I thought it would be sort of like a, you know, kind of a social worker type um, situation where we would go together to help with the trauma when something happened. That was one thought I thought also possibly, um, because police officers um, experience so much every day and can also have PTSD. I also thought about maybe I would, um, you know, do therapy for or law enforcement. Yeah. So that there, because there is a little bit of that sense of getting jaded. And when you see so much, and so how do we help alleviate that? So, cause a lot of times people go into law enforcement with a heart to help. Um, and yeah. then, that gets soured. And so how can we help? So those were some of the things I thought. So I just said, Hey, um, to my professor, can you find me some type of internship in law enforcement? So I could explore that. And so he found a probation officer with, um, was actually with the adult heavy offender unit that was willing to take on this little, you know, 20 year old, 21 year old. (laughs) And it was one of the best experiences I ever had. So his name was Sergio Martinez and he just, he believed in me. He, um, you know, when his boss would be on any of the calls, he'd make his boss make me wait in the car, but if his boss wasn't there, he took me into every situation, you know, (laughs) it was, I went into, um, stakeouts and drug busts. And I mean, I kind of got to be in all the action as this college kid, but he taught me so much about respecting people. So even, you know, even with the, um, those that were on his caseload, the way he still treated them with respect, firmness, but, but respect. And just, I just was so like a sponge, um, all that he was teaching me. And so it was really interesting. It was great work. I was learning a lot. And so they offered me a position when I graduated, but with the juvenile division. So I thought, okay, I love what I'm learning. I'll do this for a couple of years and then go on to get my master's and PhD. Um, And then my world was rocked. Once I started working with juveniles that were caught in a system, I didn't know how many young people we, we incarcerate in our country. And when you get to know them, you're working with them. You know, I was doing double shifts. And so you pretty much feel like you're, you know, you're a parent to Mm -hmm. these kids. And I just heard their stories and one after another. And, you know, you have 14 and 15 year olds that don't have any hopes or dreams, or don't ever expect to have a life outside of prison, outside of violence, outside of trauma. And I'm like, you should be thinking of prom and Mm -hmm. sports and, you know, like kids stuff, not like, how do I survive and not get killed how do i provide for my family and that's why a lot of them were selling drugs you know dad's in prison i mean just just the level of stuff that they had experienced trauma in their t- short short young lives just yeah changed my whole my whole trajectory yeah
1: oh that's so there's so much there that's so powerful i i i, I wanted to just reflect back that i one of the questions I wanted to ask you was if you had had an experience you you speak so beautifully about seeing the gold in other people and I wanted to ask you if you had an experience of someone seeing the gold in you but it sounds like um are oh, I'm sorry I forgot his name the person sir, you yeah,
0: yeah sir, that yep. he that he saw the gold in you yes yeah he really um he 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 helped me to be more confident in myself than, than I was, you know, he just believed in me and was like, you can do it. And I'd be a little intimidated and like, well, what do I do? And he's like, you can do this just like, and that sense of when, you know, somebody you look up to and admire that's a mentor believes in you, you want to rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was definitely very influential.
1: Yeah. What a beautiful example to have at a young impressionable age. And then to turn around and do that for other people. You talked about working with when you, that it changed everything when you saw young people being incarcerated and, and what was that a moment or was it several moments where you thought this position of being a correction officer isn't going to be enough that, Mm -hmm. that I, this is not, this is not enough for these kids.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. So many, (laughs) so many that they just, it was sort of that, that um, one after another that made me go I have to do something. And so I would say probably the first ones were when you work with a young person and they've been, you know, incarcerated for a year or longer and they've worked so hard to, you know, catch up in school and to to change the way they're thinking and they're starting to hope. And, you know, the um my my boss is there, let me, I start all kinds of programs in the institution because I was like willing to do it on my time off and my weekends. So they're like, have at it. Right. So So, I would try to get them to dream, and we do, you know, dream lists. And I bring in different people with different careers in to talk with them. And uh, we just do a lot of like exploration. So, you're working with this young person, they're starting to hope and have dreams again and think, oh, I could have a different life. Mm-hmm. And then they graduate, they finish their confinement time. We do this little celebration, and then we put them right back in the same environment with very little support and we're like, and don't, you can't associate with anybody, right? Because you've got stay away orders. If you have gang involvement and mm-hmm. with all your friends and your cousins and your family are, in, <laughs> are in that gang. Okay. So I'm supposed to walk away from my only support system and family.
1: Mm-hmm. And then,
0: and now I've got a felony. So I'm trying to go and do legal work, but nobody will hire me. And I mean, you know, and then there's trauma at home and there's, I mean, just I mean, with these poor kids, we'd be like, here you go now do good hero yeah. support. And, possible. and I just, and so they would call, they would call the institution to talk and they would, I mean, cause they felt safe. They felt cared about. And they would say, I want to come back. And that kind of broke me when I started hearing, you know, teenage boys say I'd ra- I felt safer. I felt I want to go back to jail because I felt better there than I do having my freedom that for me, that was, that was one of the major breakers that I was like, okay, like, <laughs> this is, this is broken. And if we can't provide their children, you know, they're teenagers, they are trying to find their way in the world. And we are the adults in society. And so they're literally asking for help calling a jail and saying, help me and i want to come back and my hands are tied because you know in an institution i couldn't i couldn't go out and hey i'll pick you up we're going to go you know hit the pavement together and so that's where i started going we have to have something for when these young people get out that literally wraps them around um, with the support they're asking for and the help they're asking for. And it and to call out that gold and show them you are valuable. You can do anything you want to, as well as preventing before they even get there.
1: Oh my God, that's so good. I, that just makes me tear up. I, it's just beautiful and and heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. I mean, that was my experience. As a As a public defender, it's right. I loved my clients, I loved the work, I loved my clients, but there was this element to, you know, I'm banging my head against the wall, yes. or their okay. head against the wall, because even when I made progress for them, there was so much more uh, in front of them in their way, and it just felt impossible. But that brings me to this question, Teresa, which is, I had that feeling. I was frustrated and I ended up, that's not why I left law, but I ended up leaving law. I did not, however, get really creative and build something from scratch and, you know, create this whole thing from nothing that you did. How did you do that? I mean, you know, I talk to people uh, who listen to the podcast? Who say, you know, this is these, these people are so impressive and they've done so much. What steps did they
0: take? I, how did they go from
1: you know thinking this to doing this?
0: Oh, I love that's such a great question. I love that you asked it because it's one of my favorite things to speak on. When I get invited to speak, one of my favorite things is to basically give you my um, resume of uh, disqualifications. <laughs> because <laughs> i do feel like i think all of us are are created and on this earth you know for purpose right and mm-hmm. but things feel these problems the, the things in our society sometimes feel so huge and overwhelming that it feels like who am i and where would i even start and and what difference can i make and now those are all mm-hmm. things i felt too so you know i'm a person of faith and so you know i had a lot of Let's just say I had a lot of um discussions with God. <laughs> so I'd be driving home, you know, because the stories are are literally heartbreaking. And when you, you know, and you have that trust and they open up and they share some of this stuff that you're just like, it's not okay. Like you're too young. Nobody number one should have to experience and go through the trauma you went through, but certainly not at your age. And I would, you know, I'm wearing as a in the the boot camp it was combat fatigues right so mm. i'm i'm dressed tough It's a you know like military style you know and i'm supposed to be you know having a being tough you know and i'm <laughs> literally bawling the whole way home going god this is okay this is not okay you've broke my heart for you've opened my eyes now and my heart to how many young people we're literally throwing away in our society that are so precious and so now what like I can't not, I can't not know now I can't unsee. I can't. So I have, like, I felt this like strong, I have to do something because my eyes have been open and I can't just walk away when, especially when you have kids calling saying, please help, you know? And, and I was only 22, 23, but I felt, you know, I'm like, I'm an adult. So I'm now a part of society that is responsible to do something right. And to do better. And so I started praying and I said, God, Give me, I, I'm like, I grew up in Arizona with chickens and pigs out in the country. Like, I have zero like qualifications. How am I going to help? Like, I don't know the first. I also don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know how to speak the, the lingo. I, you know, what I mean, it just felt like so not cool, right? To be able to, like, how am I even going to relate and be able to, you know, all these things. I just had this whole list of kind of mad at God for breaking my heart for something that I felt completely unqualified to do anything about. And so I just started praying, what's a solution? Give me like, what do I do? And, you know, one of the things I felt in my spirit was love them. You know, you love them with my love and that is a bridge, right? So no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, no matter how country, you know, if you are authentic and really care and love that changes that, that changes people that impacts people. And then I started asking for kind of, okay, what are the solutions? And, and so I felt like over the years I got pieces. Um, so most of the young men I worked with were their families were from Mexico. And so I would try to do exit kind of, um, conversations with them and their parents to like, okay, what would be a, you know, the kind of a plan when they leave, go back home. But I failed Spanish in school cause I was not a good student. <laughs> and so I thought, okay. I know that my calling is in here. Like I'm called to do something to break this cycle and help when young people get out of incarceration. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I know that I need to, to be able to speak the language and, and really know the culture. So, um, I only had a few pieces. I knew I'm going in this direction. I don't know what it looks like. So I moved to Mexico to learn Spanish and the culture until I, I was like, I'm not coming back till I'm fluent. And so I, it was kind of these pieces, right. And then, then initially I thought it was going to be like a safe house. Like maybe, cause I felt like when they got out, there wasn't a place where they could go that mm. they could talk to somebody that they could get help with homework that, you know, so then I thought maybe I, I would like live in the neighborhood and we just kind of a place where they could come play basketball, get homework, help, have somebody to talk to and just sort of have that support that I felt like a lot of them were calling, wanting to come back to jail for. Yeah. Right. So then I started looking at, okay, I didn't want to start anything. I wanted to support something that right. yeah, right. <laughs> right? I think a so, lot of people are saying nodding their head. Yes to well, that. <laughs> yes, And now there is a lot more that exists. So I think that is great. So I um, started looking, so I ran, then I ran a gang prevention program. So I'm trying to look to see what type of, support is there out there and i did find some great like neighborhood houses and there were after school programs there were places that kids could go to hang out but then what i discovered was there wasn't much for a lot of the young people who were going back to selling drugs or robbing and doing the illegal because they needed economic right. support especially if they were the you know even though they're a teenager a lot of them were helping be the breadwinner in the family yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, then we have, it can't just be a play, a hangout space. We have to address the fact they need to be able to make money legally and have that sense of like, you know, control and pride and, you know, economic support. So, so that's where I started thinking, okay, you know, this piece. And so I then, then it just started to come. And like I mentioned, I started thinking about restaurants uh, where the jobs were okay. Like, again, I'm trying to find something like that, that at the time, mm-hmm this was not, you know, social enterprises were not that well-known 18 years ago. And, um, so then I started to have the, I, you know, all of it kind of started to come together in full color and I started to write it down, but I didn't know the first thing about business restaurants, um, nonprofits, like any of that. Yeah. And so I like wrote it down. I started meeting with people and asking for feedback. And asking what do you think and people give feedback and and then I would take a step, and so I just started it out of my house and it started as my house was a drop in Center. We would i'd have um, chefs that would volunteer to come teach some cooking classes i'd have um, volunteers come over and be guests and we would might have a, somebody from a restaurant come and teach them how to serve. So we literally just started doing the pieces. Yes. And I would do life skills. They come over and we would talk about everything from finances, how to, you know, save and you know, so we just started all the pieces at old schools. Today I just did out of my house, out of nightclubs when they were closed. We do pop-up events and I, we just, I just started doing it like pilots is what I would say. Let's pilot and try it, you know? And sometimes it was great. Sometimes not so great. <laughs> <laughs> and we would learn from each one. And so we just kind of little by little, and then I involved the youth in every aspect. So they would be a part of the decision to make. What do you guys mm-hmm. think about this? what do you like? What do you not? And really having them help lead it and give feedback, they helped the process. So yeah I mean, like I said, it was it's not sexy, but it took eight years right? yeah, eight years before we actually got an open full restaurant, so it was a process.
1: yeah, oh God, there's so many great nuggets in there, that idea of you just just take one step, just the one step that's in front of you and try it. and then the thing that really strikes me too about what you're saying, Teresa, is oh, there's so many things, but there's this. There's this other piece of that, that word love is so prominent in everything about you and everything about old school. And I have to say everything about this season, everyone I've talked to in this season changing or working to change an industry from within it has, it's all been about loving the community that they're standing in. And the thing that's really striking me about what you're saying is that you weren't doing this for a community. You were doing this with a community and because you really love them. And that's, that makes all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah, it really, I mean, it's a, it's, we we said Youth Run Supper Club and we really meant it. I mean, from the name was, um, was a, a youth came up with old school. Mm. Cause I wanted, I was thinking like, you know, the kind of 1920s, 1940s. I had one of my young men, when he got out of jail, come and try on some outfits. I'm like, what do you think? <laughs> if they think it's stupid, you know, like then yeah. it wasn't going to fly. So I was like, you know, Matthew, what do you think about this? And he's trying on the full, like the fedora <laughs> and the, you know, the chain, like the pocket watch. And he said, well, um, the original name was give them a voice youth dinner theater, <laughs> little nonprofit sounding. And I said, you know, doesn't, it's not a great name, but that's my heart is I want our young people to have a voice and a platform that people hear and listen and see them. And mm-hmm. uh, he's like, well, why don't we call it old school? Cause if we're going to wear these type of outfits, it's kind of like going back to old school. And I was like, Oh, I like that. <laughs> So, no, um you know to, to the colors to I mean they just to even the building helping you know build leading like sometimes when we were doing an event at my house I would disappear for a little bit just so they'd have to you know because yes. they would default to what should I do and I'm like what do you think you know and so sometimes I would just sneak out so they'd have to figure it out and trust their decision so yeah It's pretty special when they're, they are truly, you know, leading it. And I wanted, I want people to come in and see that they're the hosts, they're the servers, they're the chefs, the busters, the dishwashers, the entertainment, like they, they really are like the adults are there supporting and and training, but they're out front and they're doing it. And man, what's possible when, yeah, we just support the talent and the gifts and the gold Mm. that's already there.
1: That's so good. You talk about, and I've heard this too with nonprofits. It's your job to work yourself out of a job, and and um, and there is you know when that's done really genuinely, really authentically. About when that's done really genuinely and really authentically, there's such a difference between that and kind of the I'm coming in and giving you money and telling you what you should be doing kind of work that we see so often.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so good. One of the things that I find really fascinating about either being within being in an industry and trying to change it or working with an industry or an organization or an institution is you have to be able to dance and navigate the complexity. It's not black and white. Mm-hmm. And I love the the gray area. That's my happy place. Um, and I'm just curious, you must, you, you must have come up against that when you were starting people saying that's never going to change. That goal is too big. You're never going to end incarceration for you. And you must come up against it now, even with your kids coming to you. How, how do you dance through that? How do you live in that complexity? Mm.
0: Oh, that's a good question. And, um, it's a hard, I mean, it's, I think a lot of it is hope, you know, hope and open a hand. And this is, you know, what I also try to, you know, share with my staff is that, you know, our job. So I believe as we were talking about love, that love doesn't return void. I just don't believe it does. So even if you, you never get to see it in your lifetime, if you authentically and genuinely love, People love somebody else, and you give kindness and love, and whatever you're called to, like how to bless somebody, whether you ever see any fruit of it or not, like that's not going to return, boy, you know? And so that helps me. And I think early on, I had a lot of really hard stuff happen with several of the kids, and I did, I got really discouraged. I felt like nothing's, nothing makes a difference. You know, we had several kids that, you know, when I was just starting and it's in my house and we've only got pop-ups, I only had a, a things for them a, once in a while. I didn't have anything daily. Right. And a few ended up getting incarcerated, um, you know, just some, some, really tragic things happened. Another young lady was shot and killed. Um, she actually, I was just mentoring her, um, teaching her how to dance salsa for her senior mm-hmm. project. And she was so excited to join old school. Um, and then unfortunately was shot and killed. And so kind of these things back to back just made me feel like it, does anything even make a difference? Like, why am I like killing myself to try to do something? You know, you get yeah. all that like doubt of yeah, feels too big and feels like nothing makes a difference anyway. And again, I just felt like, as I was like, you know, having a big, you know, conversation with God about (laughs) this, this doesn't change anything and all this, you know, darkness is still happening. especially when you lose, you know, a precious life and it can be really, you know, those are dark days that feel like what, what makes a difference. But, um, I just felt like he spoke to my spirit that, you know, you, again, you love, and you do like your responsibility is to pour as much love and kindness and support and whatever you can offer. And, and then you have to just let go, like hold everybody with open hands and that your job is not to control the fruit, what happens, their decisions, their choices, what happens in life, right? You just do what you can with what you have and then just release, you know, and that was life-saving for me because I had to keep hoping that even if I didn't see it, that it was making a difference. And of course now with many more years down the line, I'm so grateful. I didn't give up because we have got to see, um, a lot of that fruit and also, you know, letting go of the, of the outcome that it's okay. If I don't see the fruit, we'd love to see the fruit. And I, <laughs> I still want to see it every day. It's so encouraging. You know, you get those messages that a, um, a youth comes back and says, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, they tell you the impact and you're like, oh, that's such a gift. But even if none of them ever, you know, shared that, and if I never saw like that, that should still be my actions should still be the same. Yeah. And I,
1: it occurs to me too, as you're saying that, and as I was hearing, it was, as I was watching you say that, it was filling me as well, that when, when you show up in love, when you show up with love, it fills you. Yeah. You know, you detach yourself. You, it's easier to detach from the outcome because it's already filled you. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I would love if you would share a moment of where you felt, where you saw this work, this club, this, everything you, you do and your kids do making a difference. Mm.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so many sweet ways and I love, I love sometimes to focus on the things that are smaller that may not be as tangible because again, in our world of corporate, everybody loves like, you know, statistics of huge, you know, uh, this young person came out of jail and now they're at Harvard, right. Right. Like, right. Yeah, you, know? right. But, you know, the reality is as human beings, our journey, one of our values is, um, a transformation is not a straight line. And so success, um, and transformation is often very, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. I know for me, like, you know, goals or things I have, like, I'd love to just be like, I decide, and then man, it's all <laughs> upwards and <laughs> forward. Right. But it's like, Oh, I've got good intentions. And then a week or two, and then like, Oh, you know, and yeah. back to my old patterns and yeah. you know, <laughs> like that. Right. Why am I not working out? Why am I not? You know? <laughs> um, so uh, the things that I notice that I think are really powerful are, you know, when a young person comes in and they're somewhat flat, you know, they, um, don't smile much. They don't trust. They don't talk about, you know, like there's a lot of like walls for protection for good reason. Mm -hmm. And also like, you don't share that stuff. And when, when quickly you see they come into an environment where they see their peers trusting and feeling safe and loved, and they start to smile when, I mean, those for me are huge. When you see a young person that just feels like, like the weight of the world just gets taken off for a while. Like that when they're there, they can feel like a kid, they can feel, you know, like a teenager and begin to smile and trust. And then when they open up and they share with you, you know, what, what they haven't told anybody else that they've been carrying by themselves. I mean, that stuff sometimes messes me up. I'm thinking you've been, you haven't told any, you've been carrying all of this trauma and weight And when they trust you to, to, and you get the opportunity to help carry that with them and say, Mm -hmm. you're not alone. Um, and then you see that, like that weight lift and you see them feel connected and you see them feel apart and wanted and loved and accepted and not judged. And I mean, you can, you can literally see it and feel it. That to me is like, Whoa, that's, that's worth a million dollars. That's worth more than them making it into Harvard to me. Of course, I yeah, I love, I want them all to go yeah. to this college, you know, you know. but when they know their identity, that they're valuable and they're precious and they're not a mistake, that their life is not a mistake. Young people that have been suicidal, that have chose to not take their life. I mean, I think about like literally several, several young people that, that may have taken their life, that were suicidal and that, that, you know, to get to walk alongside, to say, no, you're, you and your life are too valuable and you're wanted and for them to not choose that path or to hurt somebody. And then the next thing I would say is watching it break generation. So I love watching some of my alumni be parents yeah. and watching them love their children. in the way that I know they never received it is like, whoa, I'm like, I, you like, you're my hero. Like, I know <laughs> oh. you. Never experienced what you're giving to your little boy or little girl. And that's just, to me, it's like, wow, that's so powerful. Oh my God, this entire conversation,
1: I've just been like, my heart, I think I can feel it bursting <laughs> open. It's so powerful and beautiful. What, where do you see the work that you've done establishing Old School Cafe, but even more than that, instilling hope, showing demonstrating, showing young people that they are loved and valuable and demonstrating what love looks like when, when you meet somebody with that, where do you see the future of, of
0: what you've, the, the seeds that you've planted? Mm. Oh man. I would just love to see our world a more Kind and gentle place where, you know, so my heart is that old school or old school type philosophy, you know, um, would spread to other places where our first response is not just to punish and to lock away. When we see youth that are acting out from 99.9% trauma, yeah. <laughs> that it's yeah. not like, oh, you are bad you're a bad kid, you're bad, you're, you know, dangerous just to be locked away. But like when our first response can be, okay, what's the, what's the, why, you know, why, why are you and how do we help you heal because you are still a young person and you have your whole life ahead of you. So I would love to see whether it's old school or, you know, there's, there's other great, I've been seeing so many social enterprises over the years pop up that are maybe using woodworking or using, you know, different, different types of things that are addressing, you know, some of these other needs, but that are providing an alternative when young people are going through, you know, a lot of trauma to help them go on to different path and not end up in prison or dead. And so that is really my heart. And that it also involves our society to be a part of that solution. So that's another reason I chose the restaurant and a supper club was I wanted, I thought when I was working at the boot camp, I was like, I wish, I wish people could see you know, our kids, I wish they could see them the way. I see them like have these conversations and cause that we would eliminate a lot of the fear and the, Oh, they're, they're, you know, the dangerous, bad. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these, you know, some of these hardcore, hardcore quote unquote gang members are some of the most tenderhearted, sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but I thought that we're not that's not connecting our society is not seeing that side that there are yeah. kids and so i thought if we could have a place that's a natural like everybody gathers around a, you know food and a table in a place that helps connect these areas in society that are usually very separated and then it becomes easy to dehumanize and pass laws and mass incarceration when you have no connection to it personally mm. but what if we could create spaces that people are connecting to the people that these laws are affecting and that so that's kind of my heart for our nation to become a more compassionate more loving and we respond to our children with how can we help you heal and thrive and have the life you're meant to have versus just you know building more prisons oh, I, love that.
1: I love that i'm deeply involved in um storytelling i mm-hmm. i work as a coach in a storytelling workshop but what you're talking about is not just telling somebody else's story, but allowing somebody else to see that story in real time up close. Yeah. That's really powerful. Oh, it's just beautiful. Thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, it, I will have everything up on on my um on the podcast page, but is there anything else that you wanted us to know or um, any place you wanted to direct us?
0: Yeah, I would just revisit a couple of things that um loved your question. I'm really passionate about people not dismissing those little pricks in your heart when something, you know, you you see something, you're a cause something, you know, pricks your heart and you go, oh like I feel, I feel like I want to do something or, and you don't know how, um, you have mentioned, like just taking steps, trying, just investigating, be curious, see, is there Mm -hmm. something out there that's already existing that I could be a part of? Um, and if not, like just trying things, taking some steps because every step you'll figure out the next step, Even if it's a quote unquote failure, you learn from that and go, oh, okay, maybe not that, but let's try this. And so I guess that would be my biggest thing is to not be afraid to connect with people that maybe are outside of your world, not be afraid to try things to make a difference. Because I think the more that we do care about what's happening to our brothers and sisters, you know, in our, in our world and get involved, even if it's not perfect, even if it's messy, even if we feel totally unqualified, so much growth and healing comes through building those connections and bridges. Um, And anybody's welcome, you know, old school cafe. If if you're in the area or you visit San Francisco, we'd love for you to um, come and join us. And um, yeah, there's always ways to get involved and donate, eat, or do something in your community that's going to make a difference.
1: Oh, that's wonderful! I have reservations coming up. I'm very excited. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) And thank you so much. You know, it was—I can't thank you enough. This this time with you has been extraordinary for me personally. Just so transformational, and it was a leap for me to ask you to reach out. I was um, I was intimidated, and you're you're so um, accomplished. And it was—I was just so grateful. You said yes, and it's just incredibly meaningful and powerful. And thank you so, so much.
0: Oh, it was such an honor meeting you and, and getting to be on your podcast. So thanks for the work you're doing, Anne, and spreading some hope and, um, you know, love out there. So honored to be a part.
1: Thank you. The word philanthropy is derived from the Greek word phylos, which means loving, and anthropos, meaning human. So philanthropy is, at its core, loving humans. Love is the common thread running through all of my interviews this season. Every one of my guests loved the community they stood in enough to want more for it. They took steps, small at first, grounded in love and belief in their community which yielded unexpected and beautiful outcomes for themselves and others. When looking at philanthropy through the lens of love, every action is an important action, and everyone can lead from where they stand. What community do you love? You may already be a philanthropist. Do you give your time or share your talents or make connections or give that extra money because you love and believe in your community? That's the definition of philanthropy. So where do you see the opportunity to be more intentional, go one step further than you already do? If you need some direction, here are two organizations featured in this season that touched my heart deeply. Please consider donating to help their important and love-filled work continue. Oldschoolcafe at oldschoolcafe.com That's O-L-D-S-K-O-O-L-C-A-F-E.com and New England Blacks in Philanthropy at nebip.org. That's nebip.org. Thanks so much.